It's about more than just research. It's about community, too. Right? See you in the community. What's going on this weekend? The last time we met, we talked to... Well, last time I talked to the people from downtown. What was the last movie you went to? Miguel, what's new with... Miguel, what's new in the community? Have you gotten any feedback about the Twitter feed? First of all, for the people who contact us on Twitter. About a certain research. Can you tell me more? Well, depends who Welcome to another episode to the of the Community Board Podcast Why? with your host, Miguel Valdez. And today, I have a guest, a really special guest from the Alexandria area in northern Minnesota. Our friend, Bill Schlutter. Bill, how are you doing today? I'm doing fine. How is the weather in Alexandria and at this time of the year? Can you explain to people who is listening and they're probably not familiar with Minnesota and especially that beautiful area? of How can you describe Alexandria? Well, Alexandria is pretty much a resort area of Minnesota. There are probably 120 different lakes in the area, many resorts. This time of year, the weather is fairly cool. It's not what I would call cold yet, but we just did get six inches of snow the other night. So there is uh, snow for the kids were out making snowmen the other day, my grandchildren were. So they were out there rolling up uh, the snow because it was nice wet snow, the perfect snow for making snowmen. So it, it is. And that it was October. Yeah, it's in October. You know, <laughs> this year is different than last year because last year, two days ago, it was 79 degrees here in the state. But this year, the high was only in the middle 20s. So this time of year, we can get really cold weather or we can have really nice weather. And in Alexandria, like you say, it's mostly the industry over there is tourism, people who has their cabin. or right. People have a lot of cabins, although there is getting to be quite a bit of manufacturing in the area and and support businesses as well. But the area is really known for its uh, tourists and its uh, lakes. And a lot of tournaments? Yeah. Golf courses? Right, golf courses. There are fishing tournaments and many resorts in the area. And so it's, it has a large, it probably grows by another thirty or 40,000 people weekly during the summer. And right now the population of Alec is roughly 13,000 people live there year-round. Okay. And are you originally from that area? I was originally born in Glenwood, Minnesota, which is 20 miles straight south of Alec. Okay. So, Bill, the reason that you're here in southeast Minnesota, especially at the Mayo Clinic, is because you, you've you been going through some treatment, right. I, correct? I, I, I've, uh, I was diagnosed with cancer in March of this year, stage four colon cancer. 2017? Yeah, okay. and uh, they told me at the hospital that diagnosed me, which is up, so I have a place up by Park Rapids, Minnesota as well, which is 100 miles north of Alec, that they didn't really have anybody at that hospital that could fix my problem. So they referred me down to the Mayo Clinic, and I came here for testing in the end of March, in the very first week of April, and I then decided to do my treatment here. So it's beginning with the middle of April, I started a six-week course of radiation and chemotherapy. And if you have to be sick, this is the place to be sick at. I mean, that's all I can say is the doctors here, everybody is here is very professional, very nice. I've always gotten into all of my appointments on time and it is quite a facility. Um, 
and something that you shared with me and uh the reason that we got to meet you through my one of my co-workers is uh um, can we say hobby or or a way? How can well, you describe what you do? It's no. really a hobby. What happened to me ten yeah, years explain ago? It to us. Ten years ago, I fell twenty feet off of my barn roof and I bounced my head off of concrete. And when I did that, I had a traumatic brain injury. They told my my children that I would not survive the evening. You were in coma. Right? I was in a coma for three days. When I woke up. It was three days later and I was seven years old because they asked me what I was in the hospital for. And I was in St. Cloud, Minnesota at that time, which is about 60 miles straight east of Alexandria off of 94. And that's where I was air flowing to. And they told me that I, well, I told them I was in there. I was seven years old because I had my tonsils out at seven. But it took four days for me to progress from being seven years old to being 50 years old. So in in a total of seven days, I walked out of that hospital from not being able to survive the night to being perfectly fine, except I had no short-term memory. What would happen today, I would have no memory of tomorrow. It's a complete blank slate. And actually the next two years of my life are completely blank. You know, after two years, I start having bits and pieces of memory, but not very much. And uh, my doctors that I was seeing at the time said that my nerve endings that were damaged in my brain would regain whatever pathways they would regain in the first two years. After that, I could not really expect to get any of my short-term memory back. My psychologist that I was seeing suggested after about three to three and a half years that I would take up a repetitive activity which may spur my nerve endings to seek out new pathways in my brain and I was thinking maybe crocheting so I tried to learn tried to learn but every day it was like starting over from scratch as I was like trying to learn what somebody else had done so but I could remember how to do the chain that day so then I made up my own chain but I made up my own stitch and I crocheted that day using my own stitch because during the day I was fine. I just couldn't remember the next day anything that had happened the day before. So I... I uh, so you would do this kind of at the end of the day? Right. And so then I took and found out the next day I could remember what I had done the day before. So I don't necessarily crochet like anybody else crochets because I make up all my own stitches and all my own patterns. And so... I found out I could remember, and I've just been doing that ever since. I can't read a pattern, but I crochet, and uh, it takes me about five days to do a nice You come out with your own designs. Right, I come out with my own designs and my, and my own stitches. And do you felt that that improved your memory? It did improve my memory, yes, because now I basically am able to remember what happened yesterday, today. The only issue that I still have is people's names. Until I've met you maybe eight or ten times, that I will remember your face, but I won't remember your name until I've been introduced a few times to you. Okay. And uh, so you were doing all these projects, let's name it, and then you start putting blankets together? Or, well, that's or, what I, I started doing blankets. I've done hats, I've done scarves, but I mainly focus my attention on making blankets right now because I found that a lot of people do not have the patience to do a full-size blanket, but they do have the patience to make a scarf or a hat because they can be done more quickly. 
to do a full-size scarf takes me about four hours to do a scarf to do a full-size blanket can take me five to seven days depending on the stitch I'm using and the amount of yarn that goes into a blanket and so there are a lot of people out there that are making scarves and hats for children and kids that are sick but not so many people that are crocheting homemade blankets for kids because they they don't have the patience to complete a full-size blanket. Correct. So, and you also shared with me that that you wanted something to give back for the people who come here. Right. Yeah, yeah, and I was here, and I was staying at a hotel for the first two weeks I was here, and then I got. That's when into, you got your brain, your head injured, or, no, or for the was, cancer. For, for the cancer. Okay. Yep. When I originally this, this came year, here, right this year in March, and when I came here. I stayed in a hotel for the first two weeks, but I was on a waiting list to get into the Hope Lodge, which is only about a block and a half away from the Mayo Clinic. And the Hope Lodge is a facility which is run by the American Cancer Society where people can stay free of charge that are going through radiation and chemo on a daily basis that actually have to move here for a period of time in their life. And you case for how long do you stay? I stayed at the Hope Lodge for four weeks. Okay. And, and then I was able to walk back and forth to the Charlton building is where my radiation was being done. And they kept telling me all of these different side effects my radiation doctor would, uh, that I was gonna get from this, this uh, radiation treatment. treatment. And then I was also on chemotherapy except I never had any side effects. I never got sick. I never had any issues with the chemotherapy or that. So then I thought, well, as long as I'm here and I have all this spare time because my radiation was maybe for an hour in the morning and my chemo not any longer. So I had all these hours in the day. And so I thought there are many children that are sick here as well that I had seen. And so I knew that the Ronald McDonald House had this blanket program where they would give a blanket to every sick kid that was there. So I thought, why don't I take and crochet some blankets that I can give to the Ronald McDonald House and put a smile on a child's face and in turn get a bigger smile back on my face by knowing that I had done something nice for somebody. And otherwise you just sit there and you have idle time, useless time, wasted time. And, and you were feeling good. Right, and I was feeling fine, you know. And so I started making blankets and crocheting in the lodge or down in the seating area at the Hope Lodge. And I found that a lot of people would like to come and talk to me because it was like an oddity that a man was crocheting. <laughs> so all these people would want to come and talk to me. And then we could share stories. I could, they would like to talk, speak about their sickness. And I would share with them about mine. And I found out that those people were also gaining help from me crocheting because it allowed them to speak with somebody or invent out what, what they're going was, through. Right, what they're going through. And like I would tell those people is that, because a lot of people would be upset with God when they would get cancer and they say, why me? But like I told them, I says, God has never brought anything bad into this world. Only evil has brought bad into this world. God is not responsible for any of this. But God can take this, this what we would call a curse on our life and transform that curse into a blessing. And I said that I tend to look at this cancers that I have, because I ended up having three, 
that these cancers are nothing more than just a blip in my life and that I will get over them and I will be fine and that God has turned this, what some people would call a curse on my life and turned it into a blessing because it has put me into a place where I have gotten to meet many people. Plus I've given me the opportunity to make blankets for many sick children that are suffering and has put me in a place where I can help you and, and uh, talk to you and let you know that you also have hope. And all you need to do is recognize what God does for you every day in your life because God is there for us every day. And I, I mean, I can remember way back in the early 1980s, I was raising capital for venture companies and I was given a Porsche by one of the people that I had made some money for. Well, I was only about 30 years old and I was young and full of piss and vinegar and, and I was driving the car way too fast one night. And I ended up going into spinning the car at 140 miles and 360 degrees. I flew off this road and the ditch was six feet deep and I flew like 50 feet through the air. The car came, landed down. I slid 150 feet sideways through a cornfield. The car never rolled. Nothing ever happened to the car. I did have to spend two hours though picking corn stalks off from underneath the car before my tires could get back to the ground. And uh, so I drove out of the ditch, was fine, and, and I didn't have a seatbelt on, nothing, but I patted myself, make sure that I was all there yet, and I was. A week later, I was doing the same thing. It's like I didn't learn from, from my mistake a week before. I, but this time, I saw flames coming off from the passenger side of the car. And the next thing I knew, my passenger side wheel blew out from the flames, I'm sure, spun me into a 360 spin. I was doing about 140 miles an hour again. That car didn't never, never got into fifth gear unless you were doing 100. But uh, the car was on fire when I got there. I took my wallet, it was laying in the front seat, and my phone, and this was back around 1985, somewhere in there. It was lawn. a block. Yeah, yeah, it was big, you know. It was yeah. like a foot long and six yeah. inches wide. Heavy. Yeah, so I, and I called and got the fire department there. They couldn't put the fire out for about two hours until all the gasoline. I got out of the car. I was about 10 feet away from the car and the car blew up and blew the car actually off of the ground and came back down and rested. So I was like 10 seconds away from being dead. But the next day, but still again, no scratch, no nothing on me. Next day I went down to look at the car and the sidewalls are melted holes in them. You could stick your fingers through the metal, how thin it had melted. All the glasses melted out of the car. All of my files, because I sold houses, I built houses, I had files. I raised venture capital for companies starting out in business back then. And there was one thing that was not burned that was in that car. It was right over the gas tank that blew. And it was completely intact instead, of, except for the front cover and the back cover. And that was my Bible and my Bible was completely intact and not one page was burned. And so what God was telling me that he had me, but that I probably needed to slow down a little bit and that my guardian angel said she needed a helper and because uh, one, she needed to go on vacation. So now I have two guardian angels, one that's on vacation all the time and one that's with me all the time. So, so uh, you know, because like I told my radiation doctor, having this cancer is more, it's like a piece of cake, you know. I mean, I know that I am going to survive. I don't have any side effects. I don't feel sick from any of the, the treatments that I'm going through. 
Yeah. You're aware what's your mission. Uh, you are aware of what is your mission, probably. Right. That's it. And I know, and I know that God is with me. And I and God is not just with me, but He's with all of us that have cancer. We just need to recognize that He is with us. And once we recognize that He is with us, that will make our life and our ability to deal with this cancer much easier. And I am also a firm believer in mind over matter. And if we tell ourselves that we are sick, we will feel sick and we will be sick. And a lot of people hear that word cancer and think of it as a death sentence. And I can remember when I first knew that I had cancer, well, I didn't know that I had cancer, but I knew there was something going on. So I told God, I says, you know, you could fix this problem, you know, because I had gotten home that night and my sewer had never ever frozen up in 20 years, but my sewer had frozen up when I got home. And I could tell then that I was passing blood. And so I told God, oh, you know, I guess I recognize that something's probably on here, but I said, you can fix this. And he said back to me, he says, I know that I can fix this, but that is why I put doctors on this earth so that I would not have to prove myself to you because I know that you know well enough that I don't need to prove myself, that you just know that I am here. And so I hemmed and hawed for a day and then I called and made an appointment because it's like making an appointment was we're gonna make it real. And so I didn't know that I really wanted to make it real yet. So I called and I made an appointment and within five minutes after me making that appointment, my sewer on froze at my house. So it was like God had froze my sewer so I would know that I had to make an appointment and basically told me to make one. So I know that I know that God works in our lives and he works in our lives daily. And uh, so we just need to recognize that. Be fact. aware. Right. And a positive attitude will cure you along with your doctor's treatments and be a more help to you than anything else will be in this world is to know that if you believe you're sick, you will be sick. And if you hear that word cancer and you view it as a death sentence, your treatment is probably not gonna help you. Like if you know that you have it, you will beat it and, and remain positive. And I think that's why so many kids do well is because they have that positive, upbeat attitude. And how do you, end the, how do you connect with the Ronald McDonald's house? I just I got their phone number from the gals that run the, the Hope Lodge, and I called them and asked them if they had the need for any blankets, and the, the volunteer that was on duty uh, said yes, so I just went down there with my blanket that day, and the first time I brought them seven, then I brought them five, then I brought them another six, and I have another six or seven ready to go to them now. And uh, so, and it's kind of like, when I sit now and, and uh, crochet at the Gondolage, a lot of the same volunteers that work at the Ronald McDonald House also volunteer here as uh, guides and, and uh, elevator helpers here at the Gonda. So some of the people that volunteer also at the Ronald McDonald House volunteer here and have made contact with me there. And I have gotten so that there are probably eight or 10 employees that actually look for me because I'm not here all the time anymore, but they will actually make special trips over to see if they see me crocheting to come and talk to me every day when I'm here. So that is nice as well. And the, the, res the people that are here really help the patients feel comfortable. They make them feel welcome. They make them feel like they're, they're special, which, which all people are special. Correct. 
you also share with me a story uh, that you had a chance to connect because I asked you, have you uh, have you met some of the recipients of your blankets? And you said usually no because they tried to protect the the patients, the children, correct? The ch children's in this case, and also. But you mentioned the one time you get to meet a, a girl. There was there was a little girl that was my last day of treatment. It was back the last day of May. It was the Friday before Memorial Day weekend. And it was my last day of treatment, and I had been here for six weeks. And it was about 15 minutes before I was going to leave to go down to my treatment from radiation. And this little girl and her mother came up to me, and she asked that she, well, first she told me that she had been given a blanket that I had made for the, by the Ronald McDonald House. But then she asked if I could make her a smaller blanket, and I thought, well, that's, you know, a little bit strange. Usually people would want a bigger blanket. But then she said, no, she really want, needed a smaller blanket because she was from Russia and that the blanket was too big and too heavy for her to get home and it would not fit in her suitcase. So I told her that day that I would make her a blanket, but I wasn't really sure how much she really understood because <laughs> I could tell that she had been practicing for a few days the words that she needed to speak in order to ask me for the blanket. So, and I thought that she really had a lot of courage being in a foreign country and with a mother that didn't speak any English and a lot of fortitude. To and they met you in the lobby. You were Yeah, crocheting. they were in the, I was in the subway level of the Gonda building, crocheting, just sitting in a chair. And they recognized the blankets, I right, guess. Right, they recognized the blankets. And I think that I had seen that same little girl a couple days earlier walk by and watch me crocheting. So she must have put two and two together, or maybe she even saw me crocheting the blanket that she had been given. And she said it was the most beautiful thing that she had ever seen and asked if I could make her one that she could get home. And I told her that I would, but that she would not see me crocheting there anymore because I was going home that day. It was my last day of treatment. So I wasn't sure if she really understood all of that because you can speak certain words, but you maybe don't understand a lot of words, you know, because she didn't really know English fluently. I could right. tell that. So I went to my treatment. I went home that day, and I started her blanket on Saturday, and I had her blanket done that following Monday. And so, but I didn't come down with her blanket till a Friday because I had been away from home for six weeks, and there were just things that I needed to do. Plus, she had told me that she would be at the Ronald McDonald House for two weeks yet. So I drove down Friday afternoon, and I brought her blanket with me. I went to the Ronald McDonald House, and all everybody was gone except for a few volunteers because they had taken everybody to the zoo that evening, which is fun for the kids, and they needed a break. And I had kind of planned on spending the night myself anyway because it was another five-hour drive home, and it was already five in the evening. So... I went back the next morning, and the next morning there was a receptionist there, the same one that was there the evening before, she, so she knew why I was there. So she called up to the room, and I believe it was the young lady, the little girl that was sick, answered the phone, and the volunteer said that there was a gentleman here that would like to see them in the lobby if they could come down. And her response was, as we speak no English, and they hung up the phone. So then the receptionist went up to the room, knocked on the door, but nobody would answer. But it was only about 9 in the morning, so I'm thinking, well, they're here, they're from Russia, 
maybe a little bit scared. Maybe they had just gotten out of bed in their pajamas, so I said, that's fine. And so I asked the receptionist if there was some way that we could make sure that this little girl got this blanket because I knew if I left it, there are a lot of volunteers that work there, and some little girl would get the blanket. But this little girl had specifically sought me out and asked for, and this, asked for this blanket. Yeah, so she said that they could take and put it in their mailbox. That way they'd be assured of getting it. So I said, okay, that would be fine. So we put the blanket in her mailbox. I left and was in my truck waiting at the stop sign because I had to head north on Highway 52. So that means I had to cross traffic and there was traffic coming. And so then I looked back towards the Ronald McDonald house before I pulled out to check on traffic coming in the same direction I had to. And here comes the volunteer running out of the building, waving her arms and yelling at me to stop because she said that the little girl and her mother had come down, had got the blanket and really wanted to see me before I left. So I said that would be fine and I was pulling back, going to pull back into the lot, but before I could get back in my truck, I see the little girl and her mother running out of the building, clutching the blanket and they ran all the way down to where my truck was and they were both crying when they got there, clutching the blanket. They both gave me big hugs and that blanket is now in Russia somewhere. I know the little girl needs a heart, so I put four hearts in her blanket and a cross and a circle to me, because to me circles mean eternal life with no beginning and no ending. And so I try to crochet meanings into a lot of the blankets that I can tell the kids about so that they well, maybe at some point in time in the future, if they need to choose something that's either good or bad, they will choose good versus bad. And uh, But it was really worth the five-hour trip back here to give that little girl that blanket to see the joy that it brought to her face. Bill, this amazing story. Thank you mm -hmm. for sharing with us well, and, and giving sure. hope for to everybody. Well, everybody just needs to know that, that cancer is not a death sentence, and if you approach it with the right, right frame of mind, your experience with cancer will be much easier on you and on your family and everybody involved. That uh, Because not just you suffer, but your family suffers when they see you suffering. And I, I mean, I drive myself down here, you know, my, my kids, you know, think I should be driven down here and driven home, and I could tell them, I says, you have your own lives. I'm, I'm only 61 years old. I'm still not an invalid, you know. I mean, I can handle this, you know. I've taken care of myself my whole life. I can take care of myself now. And so I come down by myself. I, yeah, and then the thing is then I'm able to speak with the people that I want to speak with because I know that there are people that are here every day that really need to hear the message that I give them about hope and how they need to take and uh, think positively and to know that God is with them and that no bad thing ever comes from God and that God is there and we all each have a guardian angel that looks after us. And if my kids are with, then I'd have to almost babysit them. You know, so I don't need to babysit anybody, no. <laughs> Bill, thank you again for agreeing to share um, your testimony with yeah. us. And, you're you're uh, very welcome. For keeping it positive for your family, for other families that encounter you. And I know, and I really know truly that this here has not been a curse on my life, but it's rather God has taken what 
what evil wants to be a curse and wants me to take and blame God for has turned it into a blessing with everything that he has provided for me since I've been here. Thank you, Bill. And uh, I want to invite everybody to please contact us. And if you want, you have a story or information that you want to share with the community, please contact us. Follow us on Facebook under Community Board. Also on podcasts. I mean, on iTunes. Find us under Community Board Podcast. On Twitter, also under Community Board. And make sure you give us a like and follow. And stay tuned for more podcast and bill have a safe drive back home i, I will and i have uh, chemotherapy this afternoon four hours on a, on a chemotherapy chair and they keep telling me i'm going to be sick but i've never been sick yet so you spend the night yeah i spend the night i'll okay. be back in the morning so okay and it was been a pleasure to no, um, my pleasure for you agreeing and everybody uh, stay tuned for our new podcast coming up and what last Enjoy the day. Thank you. From downtown. What was the last movie you went to? Miguel, what's new? Miguel, what's new in the community? Have you gotten any feedback about the Twitter feed? First of all, for the people who contact us on Twitter. About a certain research. Can you tell me more? Well, depends who you talk. If you talk to the people from the board. Why did the yogurt go to the art museum? Did you see in the news? To get more culture.